welcome back to the latest episode of the Master of None podcast. I'm your host, as always, Stephen Murphy, joined by the two usual rugby crew here of Sam and Westy. Uh, before we go anywhere, Sam, I think we have to bring attention to you know a momentous occasion. We are honoured to be joined by yeah. Westy, who played for the Ballina senior team this time this weekend, gone for the first time ever. So congratulations to you, Westy, on your senior debut, de- not debut, yeah. debut. So Thank congrats, you very much. congratulations to you. I have played for the first before, but they doesn't matter since we were reclassed as a senior club, so yes. it was technically my first senior rugby game. So nice, congrats! The fact that you're here, I thought I thought you'd quit the podcast almost immediately. Um, well, now that I'm technically semi-professional, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Are you technically? Yeah, you're after Niall Murray. You're like our second professional rugby player on the podcast. So yeah, that's it. Appreciate no, it, bringing some credibility to this podcast. We've had Tig Leader on the podcast. He's oh, an international. True. Speaking of tag leader, uh, possible NFL kicker soon. Um, did you see his yeah, NFL kick, kicking videos? Kicking oh my god! Years. I did actually. Yeah, I actually DM'd him. I was like, "Is this like, is this a piss take? Or are you actually trying to like?" And he goes, hey, "If a move comes up, I'll be interested." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, obviously, you're being a millionaire." But uh, so we'll keep an eye on that because we'll get him back on if he does. Um, but yeah, we're here to chat about rugby, not just Westy's incredible um, debut at the weekend, but. There's two semi-finals on in the European Champions Cup. Uh, we'll start with Saracens and Racing. Um, I think basically we expected this game to be a bit of a, not a classic, it's probably not the way to put it, but better than it was. But at least one thing we can say for sure is Saracens are dead. Another round of applause, please. <laughs> Another round of applause. They're done. They're finally in the championship, in the ground. Um, and good riddance to them. The, the bad guys finally lost. So I'm happy about that, but... Uh, Westy, this game like it, it just was a bit flat, wasn't it? It didn't really get going like we thought it would. Yeah, um, I actually I saw the first ten minutes of it, and then I had to go to my match. Um, so I actually watched it back afterwards, knowing the result. Um, and yeah, it was kind of hard to watch, wasn't it? Like there was patches of really flat play. I mean, that's kind of the Saracens' game plan. It was similar to what we saw against Leinster, where they try and kind of kill the rugby being played and build ahead with their lead. Um, and look, you know, it, it nearly worked for them. Again, I just think probably having to make a few changes too early on probably hurt them going forward. Um, yeah, even like Rasting weren't really able to create much early on. You know, Finn Russell was quite quiet for the first half of the game. Uh, usually we see him create a lot more. Um, yeah, I just think, I think that, that was Saracen's game plan was just to kind of limit the amount of rugby Rasting could play. This is what Saracens do. They sort of drag you down. Not not drag you down to that level. That's a bit insulting to Saracens, but they stop you doing what you do well. But, like, Racing didn't help themselves a lot in that first half. They were very sluggish. There was a lot of sloppy knock-ons and sloppy kind of penalties given away. They really targeted Teddy Toma in that first half with a couple of high balls, and he didn't react very well to it. I thought Zebo was quite solid uh, under the high ball for most of the game uh when when they targeted him but they definitely went after it. some smart play as well like they they'd put up an up and under on Teddy Toma he'd be knocked on the ground and if Saracens got the ball straight back to do a, a lovely little kind of grubber or not a grubber but like a a small box kick over the top in the position where he should be uh, just smart kind of rugby play from them but um Sam what did you think of the first half kind of just general sloppiness or was it just Saracens sticking to their game plan uh yeah i th- I, I think it was kind of a mix of both i think that the be harsh to call it sloppy because I think that they were just trying things that weren't coming off as opposed to sloppy. Uh, I think that's kind of been a, a feature of the French teams so far in both tournaments. You've seen that they've actually just been trying to play a bit more expansive, a bit looser. 
uh, and like people would describe Toulouse's display against Ulster the other week as sloppy or loose, but you know, Racing were just trying the same thing. And then you know, it comes good towards the end, but at the start, you can't it can't come good towards the end unless you persevere with it from the start, you know. And they they did. Uh, I thought Finn Russell, it wasn't coming off for him, but he was trying things. He was he was moving around. It was definitely a game plan. There was definitely a decision made to try and focus on just putting the defence on the back foot because they tried that chip in like the ninth or tenth minute and then it came off at the end. You know, he didn't give up on something that has definitely been discussed or something that he'd seen. Uh, I thought the, some of the Racing players took a bit of time to get into it uh, and Saracens did their best to kind of stop it and Saracens did their best to just keep themselves ahead by more than a score. I think uh, Saracens also let it slip towards the end. I think when it got to the very end of the game, they were... Probably one or two Saracens' decisions just didn't come come off for them. Uh, and they let Rassin get into it. And then, you know, obviously there was a wondrous piece of skill by Finn Russell and Bakhtau. And then Finn Russell to follow up and him off the score. Like, this. Uh, it was unlucky for Saracens. I know you don't really like to say unlucky because you don't like them. But I think, uh, I think on the whole, the game was Saracens there for the taking. And then Rassin just kept themselves in it until such a time where they decided to have that moment of magic. Yeah, I think the highlight of the first half had to be though Nigel Owens calling a use it penalty. We got a, you know, use it. <laughs> we got one. You know, it took a while, but it was he did. Your man, the I can't think of the name of the scrum half at the moment, but he took forever. In fairness, it was like obvi- no, it was Rassing, uh, Ibra, Ibrahim, Yeah, he did take forever, and it was a finally called. So fair play to Nigel Owens for that, but um. Like Racing go into the break, obviously nine six up, but definitely anyone's game at that stage. Um, and then in the second half, Saracens, I feel like they up their intensity a lot. Their line speed very much increased. Um, and then they usually you know if they win a penalty, they're all screaming and jumping around and you know slap each other in the back, which definitely would annoy your opponent or get in their head. So they do that pre- you know on purpose. But I thought uh, Maitland, I thought was incredible for Saracens. He made some incredible tackles and defensive plays. Uh, he was really good. Uh, but I think on the Racing side, we have to highlight Dunnick Ryan was, I thought, very impressive uh, throughout the game. And uh, I think we should really touch on him because uh, there's a lot of, I think, talk going back and forth was Munster let him go or he wanted to leave Munster. According to, according to him, I think it was, you know, those contracts were the same, but he wanted basically, you know, try something new. Uh, and I think we said, Sam, before, I don't think he was very much in Schmidt's plan going forward or uh, at that time so incredible for him to be you know 12 years ago, apart from his Munster title winning team to be now back in the final with Racing again which is you know incredible so um, Wesley what do you think about Donica Ryan's performance? Yeah I think um, even in the first half I think Racing were really good defensively and I think that was kind of driven forward by Donica Ryan like he managed just a workhorse for him anytime you see him play like he's hitting Rooks that he has no business hitting, you know. Um, I think we're on Ireland. We're unlucky to lose him when when we did. Um, we kind of la- lost him at a time where we were losing our big second. You know, we're kind of looking for the next generation second rows that we didn't really get. Um, I think Paul O'Connell had just retired and Donald Ryan went to France. Um, we had Henderson there, and we had a couple of options then coming through. Maybe even Quinn Rue, perhaps, who's had a horrible time of it with injuries. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it was a, as you said, I don't know if it was a case of him being lost, you know, as opposed to just him. You can't hold it against him wanting to get a change in from Munster. Maybe the, 
the residential rule needs to be examined. I, I heard Alan Quinlan talking about it earlier and I do agree that if you get rid of it, the floodgates will open. Like, why would you, if there was no incentive like that to stay in Ireland, why wouldn't you go to France and make double the money, do you know? Um, mm. So it's definitely an interesting topic. I just think, um, I don't think the door should be shut. I think maybe, I think, didn't Wales used to, maybe they still do like, once you have 60 caps, you can go abroad and still be selected, something like that. Yeah, I think that would be a nice, that would, a nice middle ground. Yeah. Put some parameters around it, but... Um, like coming into this game, Saracens, you know, nine point kind of swing in the first ten minutes, of the second half. They were three points down, three penalties from Alex Good. They're back up to six points up. They're just doing enough, as you said, Sam, to kind of keep keep you know nudging or nudging ahead. Rassing are trying stuff, but it just isn't coming off. Whether it's just sloppiness or Saracens kind of, you know, sniffing it out. And then Saracens nearly scored a try with Lewington, and I still don't know how after watching it back twice how he didn't score this try. It's like he does. He, does he try and be smart with it, or is he just? Is he does he trip? I don't think he trips. No, he goes down on the ball to to gather it. Whereas first thing you would say is kick it on and keep running, or try and pick it up. I don't know why he goes to ground. To, he had to enough time it. to slow down and pick it up, but like incredible missed opportunity. I don't think maybe he just didn't realize what was around them. I don't know, but it was such a missed opportunity for them. Sam, did you what like? Mental. Yeah, I, I I think when I watched it uh, the first time, I was thinking, oh, it looks like he slipped. But then when you look back at it, it's actually, yeah, it's like Wesley said, he's gone to kind of gather the ball, maybe to try and just do the, you know, in your mind when you think like, I'm in a final, we're looking like we could win it, or we're in a semi-final, we're looking like we could win it, do the smart thing, keep possession. And he probably just caught in two minds then, and that fucks up both opportunities for him. Uh, you know, playing your average mid-season game with less on the line, does he kick it on and follow on? Yeah, probably. But uh, it, it definitely is going to play on the poor chap's mind now that that's his missed opportunity. That's the opportunity of the team down the drain because of what happened in the end, you know. So you got to feel sorry for him. Like there's been times when we've all made mistakes that, you know, have far less ramifications and you still dwell on them for weeks. You'd be in the shower the next morning going, why the heck did I do that? And then like to for it to happen on such a stage when there is such an opportunity and had such opportunities, really devastating but uh, I just think probably caught between two minds well Westy as a fellow professional uh, rugby player like <laughs> Lewington now uh, you know hold on no, I'm just a semi-professional yeah. oh sorry just, semi-professional yeah. sorry. I'll get there yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah exactly uh, no but uh, yeah if that goes over obviously that's a, the game's over I think at that stage Racing aren't making their comeback but um, you know the Racing it back turn the ball over Vakatawa really comes into this game the last 10 minutes he makes them Amazing breaks uh, and his strength is just ridiculous. But we we have to talk obviously about the Finn Russell chip to Vakatawa. This is just incredible. It's incredible for so many different reasons. The ball is to try this when you're you know three points. Yeah, I was trying it after. That's pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I told my girlfriend, I was like, we have to break up because I don't find anything <laughs> attractive anymore apart from <laughs> Finn Russell's chip through. You know, because it the ball is to try it. It's not even off a set piece. It's just like general run of play. And I've seen O'Driscoll break it down on his Instagram, actually, and he was saying it looks like he's only told Vakatawa this. He doesn't tell... Well, this is what he he, he, might, he speculates, but the rest of the guys who are there, they don't... It doesn't look like by their body language that they know what's happening because none of them go to chase it with him. They, they stay back as if it's going to come round the back to them. So if that's even the case, it's in, even more incredible. Well, but I don't know Vak- if... 
I don't know if there's necessarily a call. Uh, Finn Russell plays the way he plays so well. It's like the likes of Bakatawa playing with him week in, week out. You know, you can kind of get on sync. And if Russell sees it, you know, maybe there's been some sort of thing that they've looked at in training. And if Russell sees it, Bakatawa might be seeing the same thing and know that it's on. Like It might not necessarily be a call that uh, they're unaware of. It might be playing off the cuff. Russell is so good at playing, like, you know, that that kind of just heads up, just play what's in front of your rugby. And if you're someone as talented as Vakatao outside you and they're playing and training week in, week out, and they've decided that if they see the rush defence like that, the chip is on. Vakatao runs that line and the chip's not on. It just goes out behind him for a spot. And that's fine. That's still that's still a great, you know, great move by Russell. So I don't know if there's necessarily something that Russell has said to Vakatao, but actually just something that they've both seen. And then, you know, for Russell to do and execute it the way he does, Vakatao to kind of, be able to bring it in after fumbling it. But then for Russell to follow up, like, you know, every other out half in world rugby, barring maybe Richie Mwanga, is congratulating themselves on how sexy their chip was, turning around and, like, looking at the coaches. And, you know, Russell is there. Like, he's, he's putting, I think he's putting down a marker for being your Lions out half. Like, he's, he's playing such a nice brand of rugby. He's playing with good quality players when he's playing at Racing, so we can see what he can do with quality players outside him. And, you know, you're playing against the likes of South Africa next year if it does go ahead. You want a player doing that sort of thing. You don't want someone who's liable to get a yellow or red card straight away. You want someone playing with their heads up rugby, chips through, making everyone guess. Like, it's, it's, oh, I was so good to watch. And I was so impressed that when I watched it back, he was the one that got the return pass and then gave off the pass again. Like, you know, because if that was me, like, <laughs> I'd be, like, signing autographs there before like, yeah. the game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, back, what's also incredible is Vakatawa switches his hand, the ball in his hand, in like a split second. Like he gets it in his left and he sees someone's coming in, switches to the right like instantly so that he can get off the offload. And then Imhoff's line as well. He's come from a long way away. He spots a two and he's there on Finn Russell's... Uh, by the way, Finn Russell's pass to Imhoff was dicey. Uh, very I think, back I think- shoulder. <laughs> Yeah, but I think that's because Imhoff is almost overrunning him, and Finn Russell wants to make sure it's not a forward pass. Like Imhoff needs to almost be a, a couple of inches back. Just like they're side by side, so if you're given that pass, it has to be back shoulder. Like I know it looks yeah. dicey, but it's probably smarter to do that than to pass it to his hands and get called for the forward pass and ruin that leg. It was incredible, West. What do you think of the move? Um, yeah, no, I think as you say, I think as Sam said, we've said that about Finn Russell before. We can't just plays on the edge of insanity and kind of just is given that freedom in racing as well because they have so much firepower. Um, it's great hands from Vakatawa. It's great reaction from the guys who see that they've broken the line to, to hit those hard lines and be available. Um, I think it's a sign of great hands like we saw with uh, uh, Alex Good last week. Uh, for his try, he gives a pop-off inside and or to, to the outside. And I can't remember who the, who the receiver is, but he stays on the inside shoulder and tracks and then ends up having the ball come back to him and, and gets the try. And I think that's, that really is the standard of out-half that you need to have. And I think it's, it's something that's been shouted at players all across the board now is to stay in the game after you've given the ball. Um, and like, I think Finn Russell just really enjoys playing with Racing. I think he, he wants to be as involved as he can. So he gives that pass to, uh, to Fakatawa and he's running along. He's happy enough, do you know? Um, yeah. I it was, think it was great insight. Gatlin watching that isn't like, oh, that's what I want my fly half. Like, I think that sort of stuff scares Gatland. No, for for Lions, scared of how arousing he finds. It. Well, yeah, but like, <laughs> if if that doesn't come off, you know, that's the problem with Russell. It's like, 
yeah, he's fantastic at that sort of stuff, but he also will try that at the most important part of a game. It came off this time, which was fantastic, and it won them the game. But what if it doesn't, and Saracen just gather the ball back and play out the clock? You know, it's yeah. It you, that, you say it's you say you say sword. what if it doesn't? You say what if it doesn't? But how many times have we stu- stood here or sat here on the podcast and said, "Oh, Finn Russell, that didn't work out. What a stupid mistake!" Like it works out for him more times than it doesn't because of how talented he is and because he has the ability to tailor his play to the teams that he's playing beside. He's not trying that for Scotland against Italy in the seventy-eighth <laughs> minute. In the middle of the Six Nations, he's trying, down 21 points. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's trying for Saracens in the semi final or for Rassing against Saracens in the semi final of the Champions Cup because he, he's that good a player that he knows who he's playing with, he has a rapport with them. And that's what I think, like, you know, it probably, like you said, it probably does scare Gatlin and he probably won't be the first choice line. But if he keeps doing stuff like that week in, week out, there's going to be pressure on Gatlin to have him there. and when Farrell gets sent off in the second minute of the first game, there's <laughs> going to be an opening spot for an half half like so. Yeah, but he won't miss the second game because he's doing some charity work. So it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. But Racing, you know, hold on, march on to the final uh, to face Exeter, which we'll talk about now. Racing, be fair, was going to that final against Exeter? Uh, I don't know. I think last week I said, you know, I didn't think Exeter would get through. I thought Toulouse were going to be just that bit too talented for them, but I had said that, you know, Exeter are, are runaway league leaders in the Premiership at the moment, really capitalising on the Saracens' fall. They've built up their team so smartly over the last few years. You know, I think I read somewhere today that they have 70% of players are homegrown. You know, they've got a culture there that they're trying to produce. They have local lads like Simmons Brothers coming through and I think that this is going to mean a lot for Exeter, the way they've done it, the chance for a league and cup double, like the chance to really give two fingers up to Saracens because, like, you know, they're, uh, is it Tony Rowe, the owner of Sar- uh, Exeter, has been really, really vocal about kind of the, like, how disappointed at being cheated out of a few leagues they've been against Saracens the last couple of years. So you know, this is an opportunity, a, a cup and league double for them is a huge, huge opportunity to really give two fingers to Saracens as Saracens go down into the championship which might not even be happening next year. That's something that's been touted as well. Like Financially, the championship looks like it's unviable. So you know, for Exeter, this is a huge opportunity to really just go like, okay, Saracen's era over. Uh, this is the era of like clean living. This is the era of Exeter. They're doing it right, you know. So it's a, it's a big, big chance. And I don't know if Racing will definitely be favourites. I think it's going to be very, very close. Yeah, it'll be tight, all right. But we'll get on to the Exeter Toulouse game. This was really the battle of different play styles. You have Exeter, who are very much like a well-drilled machine. And then you have Toulouse, who are, you know, flashy, flamboyant, sort of off-the-cuff kind of play styles. So, uh, unfortunately, I always like to watch the flashy, off-the-cuff, flamboyant play style, which, but that lost uh, this weekend to the, the well-oiled machine. But Toulouse started well. Like, if, I, if you had to just watched the first 10 minutes, you'd be like, Toulouse is going to win this fairly comfortably. They were all over Exeter for the first 10 minutes. Um like they they were dominant, they were pressurizing Exeter. Exeter were holding on for a lot of the first couple of minutes, and um, it actually kind of Exeter couldn't handle Toulouse's line speed was incredible. They were up shooting up early, and Exeter just didn't know how to deal with it. Which again is, you could say that's a flaw of being such a well-oiled machine is that when something like that happens, you don't know what to do. Uh, but the, I thought a major turning point in this first half, especially was like around the twenty-minute mark, Toulouse were camped on Exeter's try line for a long, long time. And they flipped it out wide to Ugier and he just couldn't get over. They kind of, they held on Exeter 
I think that was a massive sort of, I kind of, I think settled Exeter down a bit. They kind of got more into their game style then, and they, they kind of were like, okay, they've they've thrown a lot of us, a lot a lot at us here, uh, but we're still fine. So I think that kind of helped them in, in in a long way. But Sam, your first kind of half of this, the first half or the first twenty minutes of this game, anyway, did you agree? Do you think Toulouse looked a better side? Yeah, I thought Toulouse came out the traps, and you know, if you'd watched any of the last couple of weeks, you were going, oh no, like Toulouse really look on it. They look like they want to play the ball. Like I, I'm gonna. Every time we see them, see him play, I get a little sadder now. Pidaki was just on fire. Like he was, he's link, his link up play is just sensational. His, his running ability is unbelievable. And like, likes Ches and Colby as well. Like you, you just couldn't look past them in the first few minutes. But I think what Exeter did was they just weathered the storm, kind of just, you know, like the old football or soccer saying where you just let them play in front of you, just sit deep and just kind of let them do that for a while. You know, I think Toulouse, it was. It was very flashy. It was very enjoyable to watch, and they were running some hard lines. But extras got the ball, got themselves down there, you know, used the mall, used the strength, slowed it down a little bit, and that that's what allowed them to come back into the game. Then, and you know, then there was a break about ten minutes to go in the first half uh, that it led to the try. Who was it that made the break? It was uh, uh, Tom Flaherty, and he like he broke in through into the twenty-two, and then Williams got the try. And I think that those those are the moments for extra. They were just like. You know, Toulouse can play as much as they want. We have our game plan. We believe in our game plan. We're going to play it that way, and we're going to capitalize on the chances that are created by Toulouse being so, uh, so kind of loose and unstructured. And yeah, like, unfortunately, you're not getting to see Toulouse in the final because they're probably a more enjoyable team to watch. But uh, no, I, I thought Exeter were really, really good, and I was really impressed with how they went about their game plan, how they, how they kind of let Toulouse do their thing instead of trying to null and void it, instead of trying to stopped them at source and like coming up quickly and slowing it down they just let them play in front of them and then played with the ball when they got it so yeah i agree they um they did a pretty good job at managing uh cheslin colby they kind of seemed to always have two or three players around him at any one time they did a much better job at not isolating say Stuart hogg out there or you know like like also seemed to do with stockdale uh so credit them for doing that the the Jack Noel dropping the knees in on the player, I, I kind of want to highlight this because we see this a lot, but this one was especially unnecessary because your man was so in the clear and it was like on the like had touched over before Noel had even kind of lunged at him, uh, which I don't like to see, obviously. But uh, just want to touch well Exeter, Westy. We've said before about you know Ulster or Munster sometimes not taking their points when they have the opportunity and how it kind of hurt them. Exeter did that this week. They didn't take easy, easy kickable points, and it worked for them. They ended up converting, you know, that kind of penalties into actual tries. Like Thirty-nine minute, right before half time, that's normally a very easy build or easy decision to go. Like, right, it's stroke of half time. Let's kick this ball over. But they went with the tap and go, and they got the try and they got the reward. It's very fickle, isn't it? Like, we if that doesn't work, we're kind of abusing them again, saying like that was a poor decision. But this time it worked. Um, what did you think about that? Um, yeah, no, I think, look, I think it came from them backing themselves physically. Like, I know you guys, you were saying that their defence was maybe a bit shell-shocked by the initial kind of onslaught from Toulouse. But at the same time, like, nobody's shying away from any hits there. And I even think that the physicality that Exeter did bring in defence is one of the reasons Toulouse took the points early. You know, Toulouse in other games would have been happy to go for the, especially the second penalty maybe when, they're, when they really are being dominant. To go for the pen, go for the corner, and go for the try, but I think they they were feeling the onslaught, the, the work rate from the Exeter defence, and Exeter's working as a unit. I think Exeter, 
I mean, what was in it at half time? It was only, you know, it wasn't. It was a pretty close game. They were pretty Four, happy with how they were. They're pretty happy with how they were matching up to to lose. As said, as you rightly said, they had kept Huje out. They'd won the concede the following scrum, uh, and then a penalty further down the pitch. They'd really turned the game on their heels before their first try. I think, I think they just backed themselves. I think, as Sam said, they believe in their system, and I think they had did every reason to really. And I think they were willing to accept that risk of a couple of points in the difference they knew they'd come out of the at the second half ready to fight again yeah as they go in half time 14 points up to 11 um so instead of being 11 9 down they go up 14 11 because they had the you know the balls to go for the try and actually execute which is a massive it's a massive momentum swing and a, a mental advantage going into the second half after doing that and it kind of showed straight off the extra won a couple of big penalties they won a lot of scrum penalties, which is uh, we've seen in the last couple of European games. Scrum, if you're winning the scrum, you're not far off winning the game. It seems to be a very important part of the you know uh, the game. And there were Exeter were just relentless at the at the breakdown. Every ruck was there was no easy rucks to lose. Everything was contested. Everything was slow. It was a pain, and they seemed to be just they seemed to love the physicality. Sam, that seems to be the kind of their their game plan as well, just to get stuck in. Yeah, I was impressed. Uh, I thought you know. It's not often you see games where you're complimenting front rows for like their kind of their open play work. You know, a lot of the time you're like, oh yeah, scrum was great. But I thought the, the like the front row were regularly popping up with big stops uh, from the post and the pillar uh, and open field tackles. Johnny Hill was unbelievable. Like Stuart Hogg as well. I think like I love Stuart Hogg as a player. Uh, you know, the move to Exeter seems to have suited him well. I, I heard an interview with him recently, and he was talking about how how much better a headspace he is. You know, but he was there was like times in that game where he was support running like I, I sent one to you guys he was support running from absolute no man's land because he was just looking to get on the ball I think they were all working for each other and it's like I, t- I spoke about it earlier about how they've gone about accumulating a team the right way you know there's plenty of young academy players and there's five or six academy players are playing at the weekend for them and like that that breeds a really good atmosphere and that's why these players are playing for each other and that's why like Westy said they're you know they're willing to put their bodies on the line like Toulouse were playing the ball and they were playing a lot and they were trying to keep the ball alive and the extra lads just were relentless in there following it and uh, breaking it down stopping it when they had to tackling hard when they had to rocking kind of rocking it was just it was a joy to watch for kind of you know those old school purists uh, like we go into next week kind of wishing you'd see Toulouse playing a uh, Racing 92 because that would just be uh, who can offload the most in 80 minutes but no I like I think Exeter worthy 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 winners of the game and you know they their work rate is you can't you can't question. I'd love to see stats on you know rooks hit by different players and stuff because I'd say a lot of them would be high up there in terms of the amounts uh, like records for this season. Like they were definitely putting a massive massive shift. And you know they've been playing competitive rugby for the last few weeks. The the Premiership is all over the place in terms of who can play where and like what team is playing. You know they might be starting the second string fifteen one week, but they're playing for every four days for the last few weeks. So they they really are probably coming to the end of. A very very tiring period. Yeah, hundred percent. I just want to note one of the one of the best like try line tackles I've ever seen. Did you see Kano's tackle like in the yeah. middle of the set? Oh my god, he stopped like it just it looks like a surefire try, and Kano just comes out of nowhere and stops it. But that was incredible. Exeter eventually do break through there, but Toulouse come back up fairly quickly after that and are camped as well, sort of on Exeter's try line. Which would have been massive, you know, to get back into the game. But Simmons does incredible work and kind of turns the ball back over. And then a few minutes later, then final nail in the coffin. Then the other Simmons uh, scores a try on the 70th minute. 
and then that's kind of game over. Toulouse get one back, but at that stage, it's it's more of a consolation than anything else. But yeah, I, I agree with you, Sam. Exeter totally deserved the win. They they just were relentless with Toulouse and battered them down and bet them down until that was it. Just reading a stat here, uh, I thought it was really interesting, you know, because Exeter came in the second half and got the win, you know, in the second half. But uh, they were playing against Toulouse into the breeze. And Toulouse in the entire tournament up to that point had conceded fewer than 20 points in the second half of all games combined. Like that's, you know, that's, they're, they're a good second half team. It's not like they're one of those teams that puts up 50 points and then falls apart and lets you get back into it, but gets the win. Like they, they're, they're no mugs. Like, so fair play to Exeter for being relentless. And I think three of the tries, three of the tries are from really solid forward mauling work, you know, yeah. squeezed in over the line and, that's tiring to play against. Like, yeah. you know, Toulouse, are, they're playing in the French League. They're used to having the ball a lot like Leinster would be, you know. Playing against that, that's not easy. And, you know, fair play to Exeter for going with it and for not being flashy, you know, for doing what Munster did in the 90s and the early 2000s. And it was like, it's not going to be pretty, but it's going to win us this game. And that's what, you know, they stuck to it and fair play to them because, you know. Sam, we will never compliment someone for not being flashy on this podcast, okay? That is hmm? the opposite. That we're not going to compliment someone for not being flashy, right? We want all sizzle, no steak. All sizzle. <laughs> we, want, yeah, exactly. we want Kobe running to touch all day. I don't care if you lose 60 nil. I want to see some offloads. You know what I mean? Give it to me. Give me all yeah, the dirty see, stuff. Exeter have, Exeter have that little moment of like, you know, they're, they're not that flashy. But then Simmons had a great break, you know, to yeah, get that yeah. try. Like, I was chuffed for him because... You know, himself and his brother are playing for their local team, like their boyhood team. And that that's that's a great story. And you know, we get a lot of that with Connacht. We get a lot of local lads playing for the team and stuff. But these are two lads that you know they're putting themselves in contention for England or for, you know, whoever else, Lions and all that in the long run. And uh, they're doing it with the team that they grew up supporting, the team they grew up through the academy. So it's it's, it's great to see, like, you know, uh, they can have their flashy moments, they can have Stuart Hogg every once in a while. They don't have to be too flashy. But uh, no, I'll compliment them this time. I, I'll, I'll go back to not complimenting on flashy play next week. That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. I'll, I'll allow it this once. Uh, Westy, preview kind of the final. What do you think and who do you think will be uh, favourites in your mind? Um, well, look, I got both games wrong last week, so I don't know. I got the Rassing prediction right. Um, look, I think, I think there's no doubt Rassing are going to be favourites. Um, they've obviously invested pretty heavily, I think. Their owners come out and said that you know he's his goal is to win a Champions Cup and a transit to the fourth final. Tried. Yeah, I think yeah. it's it's either third or fourth. I think they've been I think they've been in three before. Um, so it's essentially basically my point I'm trying to make is essentially trying to buy uh, a Heineken yeah. Cup. Um, look, at, I think if basically yeah, I think based on a weekend's performances, Exeter were far better, far smarter game plan. I think Exeter's composure can't be questioned. Like they, as Sam said, like. Buys online for each other, sticking to the game plan. I think if they bring the same attitude to to the weekend, they'll they'll win for sure. Um, I do think Rassing are favourites. Rassing have just a few more attacking threats, um, but it could come down to a similar thing. One of the problems I thought for Toulouse was they were trying to use their danger men a little bit too much. They were trying to push the ball onto Kobe and to Paul maybe once or twice trying to go himself a little bit too much, um, because they don't necessarily have that like tangible team structure uh, that I think Exeter demonstrated so so well. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, the way, like, Saracens give Rassing a lot of problems and I think Exeter can give them the same kind of problems but even more, uh, yeah. even more issues. So I think 
it's going to be tough for Racing to kind of do what they do well against that extra team. So uh, I, I'd, I'd be looking towards, I think, Exeter. I think I, well, I, I don't, uh, whoever wins, I've, I'm, I don't dislike either team. Um, it would be a great story for Exeter to win. Um, as you said, a lot of a lot of local lads, a lot of team lads who actually have been there for years and stuff. So I'd have no issues with that. And then obviously the racing, you know, a couple of Irish, you know, you've Zebo, Dunica Ryan, Prendergast, you know, Irish connection there, which is always good to see. So it's a, it's a win-win for a lot of, for I'd say a lot of people while watching this game. Rugby would be the real winner. And hopefully <laughs> sportsmanship, you know, hopefully sportsmanship. Uh, do we want to touch on before we go the the just breaking cheetahs news, Sam, in South Africa? Uh, I haven't really got too much into it yet, Sam. Do you know much about it yet? Yeah, I, I read the, an article there that was tweeted by the Cheetahs' official Twitter. Uh, it seems that they're, it seems they're gone from the Pro 16 as it's going to be now, and the four teams have been voted to go in ahead of them. But it said that they're assessing their options. I think they still feel they have a claim to one of the spots and could potentially take the South African Rugby Union to uh, to court over it. This was the talk last week because they're they're still entitled to their spot is their is their stance. But the South African uh, Rugby Union have now voted for the four teams that have been kicked out essentially of the Super Rugby uh, for whatever reason that was. If it was due to time zones, due with like financial viability, whatever it was, they they're re- reallocating them into the Pro 14, Pro 16, as it's going to be. I think it's a bit of a disgrace personally. I think cheetahs have really added to the league when. No other league seemed to want them. You know, they, they were gotten rid of out of the Super Rugby, and now uh, they've had the they had the opportunity to go to the Pro 14 or Pro 12 and into the 14 at the time, and have really added to it. And I think you know, unfairly so, the Kings are also probably dead now. Uh, they decided that they'd take a year off, but they they added to it as well. Albeit the results weren't as good. You know, those were exciting games. Those were there was a, getting a bit of kind of harmony between some of the. Cheetahs fans, Kings fans, Connick fans and stuff online and it's, it's a real big shame I think to see them go. I don't think it's particularly fair and I don't think it's a good look really on the Pro uh, it's Pro 16 now. Pro number, them. let's just call it the yeah. Pro number. The Pro, the Pro League. I don't, think pro it's a good, league yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's a good look on the Pro League to be, be like allowing that to happen. Uh, this is a team that had invested in their league. This is a team that had contributed their league and had, had played very well and upset teams and played you know, and had been beaten by teams in different games. And I, I think that that's a bad look because, you know, these South African teams might just be ousted for an American team if American rugby takes off, or the Italians might be gone for a Russian team or a Spanish team. And it's going to become it's going to become so hard to have any sort of actual affiliation and actual kind of desire to beat teams. And if they keep changing year in, year out that way without any sort of promotion, relegation and structure. And uh, I, I don't care how... Monster do against the Stormers or the Bulls like that's that, that's meaningless to me now. But I developed a little thing with the Cheetahs for two years and three years, and I think that that's I just think it's a big shame, and I think it's it's bad bad kind of from the South African Rugby Football Union to just replace them like you know essentially give them a death notice unless they can find another league somewhere to play in uh, that will allow them to keep their professional rugby players, and I think it's bad on the Pro 14 to allow it. Yeah, Westy, do you bet, Dad? Yeah, I think I think a decision does nothing for developing rugby anywhere. I know South Africa is not a developing rugby market; it's a very well established market. But just telling a team after three years of work that you're not worthy doesn't help anybody. Like, it, it it's 
it's just really confusing because they're they're about to launch into like an internal. There, there's Super Rugby. I think it's going to be called Super Rugby Unlocked or whatever. Yeah, I think it's like it's the, be, the five yeah. plus three. I think they're doing yeah the eight. It's the four teams plus cheetahs. Uh, a team called the Pumas. Another team called the the Grigos or something. I can't. I don't know exactly how to say it. I think it's. I don't know how, what the other words pronounce. But offensive, like the, Westy. A, offensive. Okay. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, there's, there's a very easy solution that, like, so it's, essentially it's a version of their curry cup that they have every year between their internal provinces and like the solution here is just why not have like the, the team, top four teams that finish in that seven go into the uh, into the pro pro Number. league you know like what's going to happen uh, I was reading an article before this and, and the journalist was saying like what's going to happen if Cheetahs win that league like mm. then you're going to have like four inferior teams going into the pro 16 like it's not it's, it's not a fair way of doing it at all. Um, I think that the best thing to do for South African rugby, at least in the first couple of years, is to do some sort of... Um, they have their own internal promotion relegation where their four teams in the pro number uh, will change based on their internal rankings. Yeah, that would be the fairest thing to do because, like, I don't... I don't you know, I'm not, not saying that we're not benefiting week in, week out from seeing the, you know, the four South African teams coming into it. You know, they're great teams with World Cup winners and, you know, really stacked kind of franchises. It's just, they've been ousted by the Anzac, the New Zealand and Australian teams. It, it, that league never made sense. Uh, it was dying from day one. You know, it had a heyday and then it slowly started to kind of, the, the viewership was down, the sponsorship was down. South African rugby was in a bad place in terms of its finances. It was in a good place in terms of its ability. You know, they've won the World Cup. They've been the World Cup finals in the last 10, 12 years. Uh, but I just think that, you know, deciding to join into the European League that's already got a South African team, that this is essentially giving it a death sentence. There is no other pro league for these players to go in. These players have contracts, there's money already there, the sponsorship in agreement. Uh, like what's to happen to them? They're going to have to find new teams or they're going to have to take wage cuts. Uh, they, they, should, they should have been committed to the way that they had been, you know, and there should have been some sort of qualification process, like Westy was saying, you know, going in, Having a promotion relegation, like this is four potentially four trips to South Africa, however, they want to divide that up between the different conferences. Like, how are the Italian teams going to cope with that? How are we as Connacht going to cope with that financially? Like, it's it's such a it's such a mental thing to think. I don't I don't think the league personally is going to benefit from having 16 teams. I think it's already a bit watered down, and you know, I get really excited about playing the Interpros and probably Glasgow and then other than that, the win against Dragons is always nice and the game against Edinburgh can be very tough. But like it's you find it hard to keep getting into games and to have rivalries build up naturally and stuff. So it's, it's I think it's a shame and I don't think it's the right move personally. Yep, that's that's fair enough. Uh we'll see how if they do take them to quarter if they, I think they are, but we'll see how that uh, unfolds. But Lads, we'll leave. I know Sammy to go, so we'll 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 leave it there. Um, as always, thanks for joining. We'll be back next week with some pro number coverage. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, and we'll. I really wish it. that I, I, if if I could, I'd choose this moment to unveil that I was secretly wearing a cheetah jersey the whole time. Oh, that would have been good. That but I don't have good. a cheetah jersey. You well, cheated us out of that moment, Westy. Oh, <gasps> oh well, I, I think we'll have our third round of applause of the day. Well done, sir. Well done, sir. Uh, See where are these sound effects? You should be adding these in post. I know, I need to get a soundboard. <laughs> you need to get a, you need to get like an early two thousands air horn. 
<laughs> if I could get like, if I could get a crowd booing, so then every time Wesley talks, I could just be like, boo, you suck. <laughs> that, would, that would be Sorry, great. I couldn't hear you down there with your one junior rugby cap. Oh, excuse me, I played more than once. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, boys. Appreciate it as always, and we'll chat to you next week. Talk to you later, boys. Bye. Bye.